You're listening to a podcast from Burley Heads Church of Christ, from Burley Heads on the Gold Coast. They go, the, the ladies go to put perfume on the body, um, and they go in and expect, and the tomb is empty. Um, and, and just there's a line there in verse 10, halfway through the passage, Judy read, then the disciples went back to their homes. Tomb's empty. Someone's took it. Something's happened. A bit out of fear, worried for their lives. I think it's them. Or a bit out of disappointment, they go back to their homes. I don't know what's brought you to church this morning. Multiple things. You might be a Sunday attendee, a member here. You come every week. You might come sometimes. It's Easter. It's an important time to be at church. Your mum, dad, grandparents, great-grandparents might have dragged you here and said you should come. And you're sitting here thinking about Sunday Easter lunch. Um, It's a pleasure to have you, however you found your way into the building this morning. How sad, though, if this was just some fun facts and a bit of information and then we all just go home. Cool. Sounds like these guys really believe what they believe. Tomb's empty. Maybe it was taken. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe it's a trick. Maybe it's just a really old story. How sad if it was true and had the power to change your life and you just went home. You're allowed to go home, by the way. (laughs) But how sad would it be just to do that? That's what happened in that moment. They just went home. Nothing special here. A lot of us this morning believe something special happened then. And I believe, and I want to talk about this morning, as I did on Friday, that the empty tomb doesn't just mean something for people 2,000 years ago, but it has power today. It says something to you. Yes, you, this morning. No matter what brought you in the building today. And that's what I want to speak about just for a short moment. About what the empty tomb means for us today. But first... I want to give you the results of a study. A Christian writer, thinker by the name of Richard Raw, interviewed a ton of people that had experienced near-death experiences. So they'd come face-to-face with death and for whatever reason had avoided it that time. And what he did, he interviewed them and wrote down in a book called The Immortal Diamond about the transformation of people what happened to them after they experienced a near-to-death experience. Let me just read the 10 things that he observed in a person that has experienced near-death. He said nearly every single one of them had these attributes, that an amazing ability to live in the presence, in the present. They had an abiding sense of deep confidence they couldn't explain. An immense decreased interest in material possessions. They didn't seem to matter as much before the experience. Spirituality became central and important. This was a wide range, not just Christians. This was a lot of people that experienced near death. They had a a higher natural compassion, which extended to almost everything. A strong sense of life's purpose or that life had a purpose. The sense that all life had value. 
an amazing ability to enjoy a higher degree of alone time. This experience gave them a, a, a way to be okay to be just in silence and solitude. In the same way, it gave them a better hunger for more social community work, to participate in the fullness of life. It gave them a strong sense of wonder, a sense of gratitude in everything they did. It's funny, nothing actually happened to them in the sense of they're exactly the same person after this event, but facing death changed them. Some of you may have experienced that as well. Some of you may experience very similar things by losing someone close to you. Something changed in these people as they were given a new lease on life. Nothing actually changed physically, but something changed for them. That's not what happened when the disciples first saw the tomb. It's empty, nothing to see here, body's gone, let's just go home. But things did change as Judy kept reading. And the next few passages show people for 2,000 years from that point awakening to the truth. And that's what I want to explore today on how it changed them. Although the disciples go home, as Judy read, Mary stayed behind quite upset. And then there's that next line and the next slide. Mary's there in the empty tomb, upset, and it says this. She has this conversation with a gardener. I love that she thought Jesus was a gardener. I love, the, I love to think, I'm adding to it, love to think that he's there working in the garden. He can't help himself. He loves creation. He's creative. He's there. He's in the garden. He's looking in the garden. And it shows how much of a normal looking guy he looked like because she thought he was a gardener. And he says this, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? And if I could paraphrase the next section or this, it's no need to cry, he has risen, now go tell others. No need to get upset, here I am, I've risen, go tell others. If you're the type of person that takes notes, then this is my first point today, the next slide is that Jesus comes to us in our suffering and he wants to restore us in it. On Good Friday, if you're here with us, you know that we talked about suffering. We talked about Jesus coming into it and being present. He's the only God. He's the God that died. He's not afraid of your suffering. In fact, he's more than present in it. We see here time and time again, he wants to restore it. He wants to do something in it. I don't believe he caused it. I don't believe he wants it for you. But I believe when it hits you, he'll do everything with it to shape you for the better, to shape you towards him. He wants to restore you. He doesn't leave you in it. And here he is, Mary. No need to cry. Jesus doesn't mind comforting and healing you in your suffering. But he doesn't leave you there. He doesn't want to leave you there this morning, church. He doesn't want you to wallow just in the hardness of life. He wants to bring his message to others. He wants you to live in this resurrection. He wants to restore you. I have a hope, he says. He wants to restore you in that pain this morning. I love these pictures. This is my visual when I think of restoration. 
He's, I, there's a ton of these shows. My wife finds all of them and loves all of them and watches them all. We watched too many one house ago back in Molendina and we thought by watching it, we were clever and we tried to renovate a house and I'm lucky I have a heap of friends that are tradespeople so that we could actually sell it because um, I'm not handy, it turns out. I'm not as good as the people on TV. But it's beautiful when you see something restored, isn't it? Made new again. I don't know what you're going through this morning. Chances are you've suffered at some point. Chances are you've had pain at some point. Chances are because you live in the same world as me, it's pretty confusing out there. God wants to restore that in you. God wants to rebuild you. Whether you've been a Christian for 450 years or you're not even sure why you got dragged in here this morning, God wants to restore you either way. Let's keep reading as we see these people come in contact with the truth. Just a couple of passages out of there. 1 Peter 5.10 says, And God of all the grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. And this beautiful Psalm 51.12, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. What can Jesus restore in your life this Easter? Let's keep reading. John 20, 11. We'll keep going through 19. So on the evening of that day, so Mary's seen Jesus. She's been told to go. Don't wallow in this. I'm alive. I want to restore you. Go tell others. First day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were huddling. They're huddling inside of this room of fear because the body's missing. Who are they going to blame? The disciples. And Jesus comes and stands behind them like kind of an undercover boss. And he says, peace be with you. While he said this, he showed them his hands and his side and he said to them, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it's withheld. Paraphrase again. No need to huddle in this room. He is risen. Now go free others. No need to huddle in this room, guys. No need to huddle in fear. He has risen. I have risen, he says. Go free others. I love the fact that Jesus doesn't spend much time on the mechanics of it. They don't sit down and say, let's get the theology right now, Jesus. Now, what happened on the cross? Was it penal substitution or was it, was it Christus Victor? What was the model? That's important. He's just straight into life's change. I just changed the game. I'm risen now. Now go. Do the same for others. Straight away. It's the business. It's like me on a Sunday morning when someone comes up to me and tries to have a pastoral chat, which is lovely. They'll find that I'm all business, unfortunately. I have to apologise after church. I'm like, i just got to go here. I've got to go here. I've got to go. I'm all jittery. Sunday morning. Love pastoral conversations. Worst time is five minutes before I've got to preach. So, but I'll have them with you because I love you. And I want to hear it. But if I'm jittery, I apologize. But Jesus, straight to business. Now go tell others. Point two. Jesus wants to redeem us with a new hope and purpose. Let me say that again. Jesus wants to redeem us with a new hope and purpose. Here we see it again. It's similar to before, but still. 
the same theme. So often we can easily fall into the trap of waiting even in this room. If you've been to church, you know, if you go to church, you know what I mean? We can fall into the trap, amen? Of just waiting in this room. Getting our ticket to heaven, let's just make sure we get everything we want because we're safe in here. All of us do it. It's human, it's human nature. But here we have Jesus resurrected in the flesh and his main topic of conversation is not, again, the mechanics. He breathes on them, sends them, giving them his Holy Spirit. Whatever their purpose or identity was before that, he just gave them a new one. Whether it was their pride, whether it was fear, whether it was the empire they thought Jesus was going to build, the physical one, whether it was security or control, Jesus in that moment said, "Uh, uh-uh, that's not your purpose. Here's where the value lies. Here's your purpose now. He redeemed them. Redeeming is a funny word. We only hear it in religious context or when you're giving a coupon on a website, (laughs) redeem your coupon. But here's an image for you along the lines of redeeming similar to the restoring here's a bath that's been turned into a couch and a tv that's been turned into an aquarium or a fish tank i don't know about the bath couch i don't know that that's that comfortable either way illustration maybe for you this morning your identity has been held to something else Maybe you're like, I don't feel like I'm good enough to be even a hint of me restored. Like the house, to go back to the house analogy, maybe you're like, there's termites, Steve. The house is falling apart. I don't know if the bones are good. You don't know what I've done. You don't know who I am. You don't know what I've said. I don't. Jesus does, and he still died for you. Jesus does, and he still wants to redeem you and give you a purpose and a hope at any age any stage, any background, any experience, literally anything. Nothing can separate you from his love. Maybe he has to give you a new purpose all again, but it will be a glorious one. I love this quote from Richard Raw, the guy that did the study after interviewing he says this the risen christ is the standing icon of humanity in its final and full destiny he is the pledge and guarantee of what god will do in all of our crucifixions in all of our pain in all of our suffering at last we can meaningfully live with hope it is no longer an absurd or tragic universe just turn on the news this afternoon anytime and tell me that isn't a great line of what's going on at the moment an absurd or tragic universe. We don't have to have that. Our hurts now become the home for our greatest hopes. The cross, the empty tomb can redeem you this morning. So question, of course, what does Jesus want to redeem in you this Easter? Let me continue. Story keeps going. There's one guy in the room still not satisfied with Jesus totally. His name's Thomas. Now, Thomas, one of the 12 called the twin, was not with them. So Jesus came. He's not in the room, sorry. So the other disciples told him, went to him, we have seen the Lord. 
Thomas gets a bad rap, but I reckon I'd do the same. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> Unless I see the hands and marks and nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, then I'll, then I'll believe. Unless I see it, I'll never believe, he says. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them saying, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, put your hand in a place by my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God, Jesus said to him. Have you believed because you have seen me, Jesus says. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. One of the things in that list of things that people change about him, or my favourite thing in that list, when they experience a near-death situation, was number 10. It it stood out to me as I was reading through this article. A strong sense of wonder. A constant sense of gratitude. How this world has lost its wonder. I think of the way society and culture has reacted to this Notre Dame fire. I've spoken to a few people and I actually can't believe that they cried when they saw it. They said, it's ridiculous. I don't know why I'm upset. Never been to the building or been to the building once on some European trip, but don't understand why I'm... Don't understand what's getting me, what's, what's, what's tearing me up. But quite a few people have said it was emotional. I believe it was prophetic. Not Maybe not the actual burning, but what it said about what people are experiencing in our world. I believe as people saw such a grand icon of the church, of wonder, of majesty, of something greater than us, of the one symbol left in the church that feels like the West hasn't tried to poke at, and sometimes rightfully so, burning to the ground. It's in Disney films and everything. I believe for people they go, without even knowing their subconscious said, what left do we have? Where's the wonder? Where's the majesty? Where's the holiness? Jesus here is inviting Thomas and the disciples and you back to this wonder. Back to faith. With not having to know everything. Know some things but not everything straight away. Have some wonder, have some faith again. To see the good in things, to not only see the bad, to be restored, to see the redeeming work of Christ in people, to not be so quick to judge, to not be so critical all the time, like our society has become, but have a deep sense of joy because he has risen. And if he can do that, church, If he can be the only man to do that ever, imagine what else he can do. Imagine the wonder. Imagine if you knew that as you woke up each day. I wonder what God's going to do today and really not have any idea. Jesus wants to revive our faith. Jesus wants to revive our faith. Jesus spends no time 
in all of these stories saying, yes, I'm alive. Yes, the tomb is empty. Hallelujah. Yes, I conquered death. Yes, I reconciled a way back to the Father, but I didn't do it so you can have an interesting story just to tell your friends in this room. So you can huddle out of fear and comfort and confusion in a room. He said, no, I didn't do that for that. But so you may have life now and eternal. You may live as a person who has faced death because facing the very real consequence of our brokenness, dead in our transgressions, it says, and now have escaped it both now and eternally if you know Jesus. Stand up, he says, and live as someone restored. In the face of a world who bases its worth on so many other things, Jesus says, let me redeem you and let me revive your wonder, your faith again your joy again through anything. Let me give you life. You may say, you may be sitting here like, Steve, that sounds like an interesting way to read those scriptures. I like it. Is it, is it true? Is it what Jesus is saying here? Well, luckily you don't have to rely on me because John, the writer of the gospel, tells you in the next verse what the whole book is for. Let me read this. John 30, last scripture in the book of John. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. Heaps of other stuff went on. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The purpose of the gospel is so that you can have life. Restored, redeemed, revived life today. It's not an instant fix all the time. It's a journey following the teacher the rabbi but you can have that today jesus on the original easter sunday over two thousand years ago he came back to life with overwhelming proof in regards to the event i can give you books on that there's amazing historical proof and yeah i can go i can send you a pile of books about if you if that way inclined but today this morning is not different no matter who you are what you've been through the last 10 years, 10 months, 10 weeks, 10 days, or what you've done, if there's breath in your lungs this morning, God is not done with you. He wants to restore you to what you were created to do. He wants to redeem you if you feel you have no value or couldn't possibly be valued. He believes you have value, enough that he would die for you. He can give you value, a hope, and a purpose. And if you've lost all one day, if you've gone, this, I'm done. This is just too hard. Life is hard. He says, no, no, no. I want to revive you. I want to bring you back. I want you to walk and live as a person who has been resurrected or live and walk as a person who faced death but got a new lease on life this morning. Revive you each day. So you can live like these people. You can have a deep confidence in Jesus. You can be present with people. Your life can be bigger than just stuff. You can have a faith and a spirituality that is the anchor of your life. You can have an ever-increasing compassion and patience for people, a strong and deeper purpose. Enjoy the quiet moments of God and enjoy the moments like this morning in community. You can have a strong sense of wonder and joy, not living jaded, stuck, angry, critical or forever negative but like someone who's been given a new life because you have. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. 
Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Perhaps starting in about 10 minutes. I don't know where you are this morning. I know one thing God will definitely be... I reckon God is definitely pressing on you. For some of you that's foreign, I'd say lean into it. For some of you it's about recommitment, I'd say lean into it. And for some of you it's just another recommitment this morning towards the wonder, revival, redemption work and restoration work of Jesus on the cross. Ben's going to come up now. If you are stirring, I'd love to pray for you this morning. We'll have the elders and we can have, actually we can have any of the board down here, that would be great. If you'd love to respond to that this morning, wherever you fit, whether it's just a stirring and you already know Jesus or whether you don't know him at all or whether you want to recommit, love you to come down and love to pray for you. The band's going to play one final song. Let's pray. Father, we acknowledge this morning an event that whether we believe it or not has changed human history for the next 2,000 years and it changes us today. We can experience that this morning. We can have that this morning. We can start that journey this morning. We can continue that journey in strength this morning. And I just pray if that's for us, that you tell us now, that you stir within us now. And let us be obedient to that this morning. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.